Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive in these challenging times. We will be interviewing business leaders, owners and experts in the field of business resilience. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, Today, I have the pleasure of Zoe Routh, all the way from Australia. Welcome, Zoe. Oh, Julian, it's a pleasure to be here. No, it's it's great to have you. And I'm just going to tell the audience a little bit about you uh, before we get into some uh, interesting, insightful conversation. Uh, So you're a a leadership expert specialising in the people stuff. And it's funny that you've written a book called The People Stuff, which I'm sure we will come back to in wait, a wait. moment. Here's my gratuitous promotion. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's fine. I'm happy to, to have that on. That's brilliant. And we will talk about that. And we'll bring your 30 years of experience of working obviously with leaders and teams um, where people may be struggling in office politics, silos, how to work better. And so you work and help with those. And some wonderful, interesting facts as well about you that obviously you've been working since uh, internationally since 1987. Um, and you've got some facts like from the wild rivers of northern Ontario to the remote regions of Australia. I love that sort of imagery uh, of where you've worked and how you've worked. Um, and you're not as an author of one book, you've got an author of four books, which is um, quite incredible. And we just had a conversation offline that you're thinking of writing a fiction book as well which is brilliant um you also host your own sort of uh, leadership podcast as well and uh yeah that's brilliant so as i always ask everybody about on who comes on this show is uh because i'm just completely nosy curious is um what do you love about what you do hey julie that's i love that question and um I did have a little preemptive sneak peek at your other episodes. So I knew that that question was coming up. I'm like, ooh, which part can I share? And I think that the selfish answer is um, I love what I'm doing because it's good for me. (laughs) And um, um, which sounds so selfish. And what I mean by that is that the work that I do with clients, I learn so much and I absolutely love learning. And I learn so much from them in particular. Uh, it's such a privilege to work with these with CEOs and executives who are in high powered uh, businesses and running amazing organizations, making a difference in the world. So I'm incredibly humbled by by their experience, their experience. And I feel great gratitude to be in service to them. And mm-hmm. the things that they contend with are quite complex and challenging. Um, so I learn a lot from how they handle things, how they keep showing up every day. And then my commitment to them is that I keep learning myself. So I'm an avid reader. I process and reflect and digest and create uh, in service to better leadership for a better world. Um, so the, what I love most about my work is learning. And the second piece is inspiration. And I find my clients so incredibly inspiring. Uh, and because they're incredibly humble themselves, you know, each one of them mm-hmm. comes to the table with complex issues, a lot of niggling self-doubt. It's amazing how many CEOs, no matter how experienced they are, have lots of self-doubt. Can I do this? Am I doing this right? Am I doing it well enough? Um, So it's it's a lovely experience to come to work with CEOs and their teams Mm -hmm. uh, to help them work better together. So I feel grateful for all of that. 
Brilliant. And I love that you like learning. I think it's a, a great quality to have that we have to continually learn uh, from our experience, our interactions with people. Um, and, and and the fact that you get inspired by your clients, and that's that's mm. that's really good, actually, to feel actually you, you get inspired with your interaction and that sort of fuels you on. Um, I'm just curious, and I'll probably keep mentioning the word people stuff quite a lot because it, it's your thing, and um, I quite like little things like that, is what got you into the people stuff? Probably lying face down in the mud underneath a canoe. <laughs> 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 and uh, that, I remember, this is quite a salient experience. So I was 16 at the time. I was on a six-week canoe trip as a participant, which is an amazing, amazing adventure. And there was, it was an all girls trip. So there were seven girl participants and two female trip leaders. And this is through Northwest Ontario and Canada. And I remember this one particularly difficult day. It was hot. We were doing a portage, carrying our gear from one lake to another on this really long, difficult path. It was rocky and I was carrying a canoe. And I was in a crappy mood that day. And I slipped and fell and the canoe slipped and fell and pinned me down. <laughs> and there was no one else around. Everybody else had, had gone off ahead and I was the last one to come on the trail. I'm like, crap, no one was coming back to help me for at least an hour. So I ranted and I raved and I cried and I stuck there underneath the canoe going, this sucks big time. <laughs> um, and then I realized, well, I got to get on with it. And I like basically gave myself a little pep talk and, pushed myself up underneath that canoe and got going again. And I think from that point, I started asking myself, how does one do that? How does one talk oneself into a hole? And how does, talk, how does one talk oneself out of a hole? And I started paying attention to the dynamics of the people around me on the mm -hmm. trip and how I interacted with them, how we interacted with each other. And it became a little bit of a, of a passion for me to figure out what makes people tick, mm -hmm. what works well in teams and uh, what happens when things go pear-shaped. So it probably all started way back then. I think wow. those early experiences in the bush with other people really led me to fall in love with two things. One is being with people, and the second one was being in beautiful wild places like Northwest Ontario or beautiful places in Australia. Wow. So you were 16 years old, and you mm -hmm. took people observing, which – is what you seem to like uh, to the next level and use that as a, as a, a skill and obviously now a business uh, of doing that. That's a wonderful story. I like that. I really like that. Um, so we've had a, we've all had an interesting year or 18 months uh, around the world. Um, and and I've, I've talked to many uh, leaders in that time. I'm sure you have as well. And I really want to get your, your thoughts really on what do you think the pandemic has exposed in leadership and I'm not going to add anything else to that I'll just leave that with you <laughs> and, and, and see what you think of that um and I'll be I'll be curious really I'm interested oh my god what a juicy question and I've been watching and eyes wide open what leaders around the world how they're responding or reacting or ignoring the pandemic and I think what it has exposed and brought to light is a number of different things that we need to get to work on. Uh, one is the radical polarization in many different societies around perspective and how the division in perspectives is getting harder and harder to bridge. So in some ways, we've lost the capacity for uh, 
good, robust dialogue where we really want to dig into the argument. Instead, mm -hmm. we dig against the others. And so we dig in our heels as opposed to wanting to really listen and understand and have a, have a disagreement. So I think we've we've lost that capacity and that division, that divide is very problematic. It's going to make us very difficult for us to resolve the complex issues that we contend with around the globe. So that's that's one of the first things that's exposed. I think it's also exposed what um, what Hansi Freinacht, Freinacht, I'm not sure how, that's how you pronounce his last name, uh, has outlined in his book, uh, Nordic Politics. I think that's what it's called. I just did a book review on it. He's Nordic Politics. And he talks about the need for metamodern leadership as a response to the ills of modernity and post-modernity. And the pandemic has just ripped the scab off all of those ills. And the ills that he says that modernity has um, caused are things like uh, the global um, environmental crisis. So mm -hmm. all the wonders of modern, uh, modernity, like industrialization and all the radical advances we've had in technology have meant exponential challenges in the environment. So that's a complex problem that we need to resolve. Mm -hmm. um, the other and thing that's showcased through the pandemic is, um, so that was one of them. God, what was the other one? The other one, the third one was um, a sense of isolation and malaise that has a symptom of modernity. Mm -hmm. So even though our lifestyles and our lives have improved incredibly, this sense of mental health issues is deteriorating. Why is that? It's because when we have all of our basic primal needs met and we have more time to do other things, we get to have the big questions pondered, like what is the meaning of life? How do I contribute? What is meaningful about this? When we were head down, making food, cultivating food, looking after ourselves and our family, the purpose was clear, it was survival. When survival is no longer the main driver, who are we, what do we do? And that mental health issue is, is really massive. And the pandemic opened that up exponentially. You know, it's like- Is that because we've, the... we've shifted from that almost thriving and gone back to survival because we're in this state of shock and a state of, um, what else going on? Do you think that's what's happened? Is people then of this yeah. catastrophe that's happened, which started very small and went obviously global, and we're all bobbing along happily, doing our things, and suddenly massive, you know, stop and think, flip, I can't go out, can't do this, can't interact. And then people started to question, I guess, a bit more about why they're doing things, what they're doing things for. I think um, so. The the pandemic pressing stop on everything was has not necessarily been about survival the way that having to hunt for your food is about survival. Mm. It's about survival at a different order of needs, the sense of belongingness, community, and connection. Mm. I think that piece has been exacerbated through the pandemic. And you're right. There has been also a lot of reflection uh, at the other end of the spectrum of like, do I really want to go back to what I was doing before? And I've had so many conversations with leaders about that. It's like, I don't want to go back to the same pace, same frenzy, same routines. I don't want that. So that's a higher order discussion about purpose and meaning. Um, the connection piece has been pretty salient and that's more to do with the mental health issues that are a symptom of modernity as well. So there's a spectrum of emotional mental challenges that have come with modernity that metamodern leadership mm. needs to address. Um, 
So some of the solutions in that, like if we're going to move from what has been exposed to what do we need, then we need to absolutely harness and develop perspective. We need to be able to see and lead in complexity. Um, we need to be extremely emotionally intelligent. We need to know ourselves well. We need to be able to understand and feel and express our emotions in a healthy, mm. uh, in a healthy way. And we need to help others do that with us. So emotional intelligence has got to go to the forefront of what we do in terms of our educational processes and what we do in our workplaces. We can't just assume that people just should sort themselves out. And you, you've, we've seen a lot of the conversation through the pandemic about mental mm. health responsibilities um, by employers and how we can have well-being and resilience programs put in place. Oh my God, resilience is such the word du jour. I just saw three books come out today uh, through different posts on LinkedIn on resilience. I got one posted me to me today <laughs> as well. Um, so it's definitely, it's definitely, the pandemic is pushing all these major concerns to the forefront, which is excellent news because, because they're so burning and urgent now, it means that it's pushing human evolution to a tipping point where we have to show up differently. We have to reach mm. for new capabilities in order to solve these things. We can't go back to our just trundling along like we were pre-pandemic, and I don't think we will. No, no, and I agree. And, I, and I'm, in some ways, I'm glad it's exposed uh, a lot of the things you, you've mentioned because I, I think we were probably being a bit sort of zombified in how we were sort of dealing with life and just thinking everything's all fine and dandy. And sometimes, sometimes we need the breaks to go on. Um, so, just just say so you, you started to allude to some of the sort of solutions. What? As a leader now, if you're leading an organization, you know, small or, or large, what are sort of some of the things we need to think about in that tense of leadership? Because I think it's changed. And I, and I know sort of empathetic leadership has come more to the sort of um, to, to the surface and, and in terms of being more empathetic, more compassionate. But what other things do you consider uh, in your interaction with uh, CEOs? of how who are leading really well and what are, what are they doing to alleviate those concerns of what, what the pandemic has, has exposed? The leaders that are doing really well are working on two things. They're working on becoming more wise and more compassionate. So they are developing the wisdom, which is best of our mind, and compassion, which is best of our heart, and balancing the two. So it's not just about being compassion, compassionate. Compassionate. Um, Cindy Wigglesworth, who wrote SQ21, The 21 Skills of Spiritual Intelligence, talks about this. She says, to be spiritually intelligent is basically to uh, to lead with wisdom and compassion with inner and outer peace, regardless of circumstances around you, which is, hmm, that's a great vision. <laughs> and, uh, and that's exactly what we should be developing and practicing. And so to develop, there's practices of compassion there's practices of wisdom and the leaders that are doing this well are, are really have those at the forefront and those are the two attributes of being an elder it's an archetype that i um, dive into in the book uh, that i think we should all channel is how do we become more of an elder wise mm. and compassionate so there's the elements of those those pieces and then it's balancing the two main polarities that leaders everywhere need to manage well there's thinking about now and there's thinking about next and we need to balance those two. And there's there's always a tension between the two. If we can't mm. ignore one at the, at the expense of the other, that's one polarity. And the other polarity is the focus on team, 
versus task. You know, how much are we focusing on culture and how we're doing mm -hmm. as a group and how much are we focusing on execution? Again, you need both. You can't do one at the expense of the other. So the successful leaders are expanding their perspective through the wisdom and compassion lens mm -hmm. and balancing now and next and team and task. Going back to being wise, um, in some ways, that's the first I've heard it in a context of, of a leadership sort of discussion. Um, perhaps I just don't talk with the right people. Who knows? I need to be more wise about that. Um, <laughs> but um, compassion, I, I've heard tons about. And, you know, you know, empathetic leaders, leading with the heart, human-centric, however you want to term it. Um, but the wisdom wise uh, struck me really because I don't think it's brought in to a context of a leadership enough. I think it's a really good point. So um, how do you become, this is a real, sounds a real obvious question, how do you become more wise? What are the practices or what, what would foster creating wisdom uh, in a leadership context? How do you get, if a CEO is listening right now or a leader is thinking, right, okay, I really resonate with that wisdom piece. How do, how do I start to develop that? How do it becomes more tangible? Okay. So there's uh, three practices. They may seem simple, but they're not easy. Um, the first one is to look like a pirate. <laughs> look yeah. like a pirate. <laughs> yeah, look like a pirate. And I don't mean dress like a pirate, uh, though I think that would be completely fun. And I would <laughs> love to see more leaders dressed like pirates. <laughs> um, what I mean by that is that pirates had to be always aware of what was on the horizon. So they were always using all of their senses to contend with what was over there. They were looking to changes in the in the environment. Mm -hmm. They were listening to a bird call to see if there was land nearby. They were testing and tasting the water to see if there was changes in the salinity around them. Oh. Uh, They're using their sense of smell to get. So they were they were doing deep immersion in their environment to get clues of what was coming up. Mm -hmm. And if we use that as a metaphor, that's one of the first things that leaders need to do. They need to be very au fait with environmental scanning, which is a, uh, a futurist practice, which is what are the trends that are happening out there in the zeitgeist that are coming closer, further, and how do I, how can I plan ahead and and prepare myself in the organization for those um, culmination or intersection or mm. in your facism of the mm. of those trends. So that's the first thing is to look like a pirate. And so, so um, just on, the, on looking like a pirate, which I, I really mm. I, I love that metaphor. How might that work with a CEO right now if they're sitting at their desk? How might that yeah. work in, in terms of your interactions you've, you've seen? Sure. So I'd say, okay, what are the major trends? And we can use the acronym uh, STEPO, the Social, Technological, Economic, Environmental, Political, Organizational, and Ethical Trends that are affecting your business and your industry mm. and around you and perhaps those of your clients. How do you find out that? Well, they can use some excellent curation tools. One of um, one of my favorites is called Shaping Tomorrow. And it's a AI-powered website which trolls the web and condenses all the trends and produces reports. It's amazing. <laughs> so okay. it's like, yep, go there. And you can have a quick scan of that. You can dive into different trends. They have everything from biology to health to farming to big cities, a whole bunch of things. And you can do your big picture thinking. So that's, I'd say, let's go and have a look at that, see what's on the horizon. And what what time frame are we looking at? Are we looking at 12 months, five years, 10, 20? We wow. need to have a look at those. Yeah. Brilliant. That's really that's really helpful. So moving on from looking like a parrot, what else do we need to do to become more, more wise? 
uh, I need to see like an X-ray. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're you're full of metaphors here, aren't we? Oh, totally. We're going to work those metaphors. Um, so, looking like a pirate is like looking far and wide. Seeing like an X-ray is looking below the surface, mm. and an X-ray shows up things that you can't necessarily see from the outside. Obviously, that's the metaphor. And there's particular practices that I go through in the book that you can exercises they can do in the book that help us do that. And they're taken from um, different strategic thinking practices like the problem tree, which I love. It's a great exercise where you start with the visible problem, then you draw branches up to that problem or roots up to that problem. It's like, okay, what is causing that? And we might look at different patterns of behavior where they're causing that. And then we dive a little bit deeper and like, oh, there's patterns of behavior. What are the systems that are creating those patterns of behavior? And we break down each of the bubbles into two separate bubbles leading upwards. And then we keep digging down until we look at values and uh, meta languages that are creating all of that. And so that's from the work of, oh, mind blank. God, I don't have this book in front of me. Nope. The five, nope. I have to. I'll have to quote you who came up with that <laughs> on the tip of my tongue. It's one of our futurists, um, Richard Hames, <laughs> Richard Hames's work where he does a big, uh, his picture is of the iceberg, which looks at the visible problems underneath the oh, surface, yeah. what's there. So the problem she speaks to that. And that's a really fabulous exercise. And leaders love doing that one to help sort of dig around. At is that, what's is that going done on. in a context of working with a team to try and, build that sort of that tree that sort of yeah you can do it with it you can do it as a team you can do it on your own you know if you're sitting there yeah because i find working like if you if you take a a group of people and you start to then um facilitate uh, groups you get all that different viewpoints and as one somebody says something it sparks something else and yeah etc and you sort of create that sort of wonderful a web of uh, of information that you perhaps wouldn't have had unless you were all together as it were yeah that's right so you know multiplicity of perspectives is always incredibly valuable. Um, So you can do it on your own better if you do it with others. Um, So that's thinking like an x-ray. There's a couple of other exercises you can do to sort of dive deep and see what's below the surface. And so the third one is to wonder like an astronaut. (laughs) Are these all in your book, these, these metaphors? No, they're not actually. So I, was I thought, say, about, why are they not in your book? Because they're fantastic. Uh, well, that's the problem with when you write a book, you continue to think after the book is produced. You're like, oh, that's a really great way of portraying that. Too bad it's not in the first <laughs> first edition of the book. <laughs> uh, but the the principles are they're just not explained in that way. Um, so to wonder like an astronaut is when I was doing research for this uh, for the book, and I was thinking about the perspective. And the book has three main four main chapters. One is the first chapter is the practice of perspective. And then there's perspective on self, which is all about archetypes and how you can lead with archetypes. And then there's perspective on others, which looks at the four devils of people stuff and why people show up badly at work. And the last chapter is perspective on the bigger picture, which is a perspective on us. Mm -hmm. So we are to wonder like an astronaut. It's, It's having the experience of many astronauts when they get into space and they're looking down on the little blue dot, which is our beautiful planet Earth, from miles away, and it's against the backdrop of the the great vastness of space, so many of them have this overwhelming experience of deep connection. It's an enlightenment kind of experience where they feel just compassion for all living things and beings. 
and the sense of unity with everything and everyone on planet Earth. It becomes not just I am, you know, um, Julian from the UK, I'm Zoe from Canada and Australia. It's like I'm Julian and Zoe and we are all part of this universe in this beautiful little planet. And that mm. sense of unity and inclusion mm. and di- and not diversity, it's, it's a sense of oneness is something that ash- many astronauts have experienced, no matter what their background is, mm. simply by the virtue of that awesome sight. And when we is start that, to- Is that because they, they see this huge, the Earth, or I know a small dot, but it, the only thing they probably see in their face and uh, they experience it, because we, we never experience it, obviously photographs, but actually physically mm-hmm. being in space and seeing humanity in, in one, one view, isn't it really? That's what you're seeing, isn't it, I guess? Yeah. And that's been yeah. amazing, actually. Well, the neuroscience of it is quite interesting. So the study of awe shows that when we have big views, whether it's from space looking at Earth or it's a spectacular mountain vista or the ocean horizon, something that is just stunning or it could be mm. an incredible piece of art, so that makes you feel the sense of awe and wonder. What happens in our brain is that the activity in our frontal lobe decreases. And our frontal lobe is where we have create a sense of ourself and our sense of ego and identity. So when that mm-hmm. comes down, it opens up to the sense of being connected and being unified because that sense of division is, is dampened down quite a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's it, it encourages the sense of connection and, and oneness and that amazing emotional state that we have when we're in a mm. state of awe. So if we hold that as one of our ways of seeing that we mm. see everyone and everything as part of us and part of our responsibility as leaders, then our stewardship as leaders changes. It's not just mm. me and my team or me and my company or me and my country. It's all of us. And mm. Absolutely, that's what we need if we're going to contend with some of the challenges we've got on our table like now, like a global pandemic. We've yeah. seen how tribalism and nationalism is not serving because mm. <laughs> we're just totally. too interconnected. We're smashing into each other. We need to support and help each other. Yeah. And yet we're, we've got this tug of war all the time about um, you know, what's mine, what's yours, where it's really it's what's ours and how we're going to manage that better. Well, I, I love that that sense of awe, I, and I, and I, I experience it when I, you know, get into those contexts of mountains. I, I've been to Mount Everest, and uh, I've been oh, those places, and you think, wow, it, it is, it does something to you, and neurologically does something with you. Um, how do we try and, you know, so we can't take people to the moon, um, well, we can, but we can't take everybody there. How do we create that sense of awe perspective within our organisations? Um, what, what, what sort of things can we do to do that? Well, I think you you can't, well, there are lots of things. They're developing a virtual reality just on the, can't get everybody into space. They've got virtual reality programs that are going to give people an experience of space. And so we can actually have that by, uh, by proxy, I guess, if you like, with VR. Mm-hmm. So that's an exciting thing that's going to happen for us that will help accelerate uh, human consciousness and worldviews uh, in in a way that we haven't been able to do before. So that's that's pretty exciting. Now, if we don't have that, which we don't currently have that in the mainstream right now, we can do that in little ways, taking a team outside. So getting out into nature mm. is your best chance of experiencing awe. Um, 
And then it's also about cultivating the practice of perspective from little things mm. to big things. Yeah. And, and that is really when we start to feel appreciation and gratitude as, as a discipline, as a practice, mm. we can start to feel this unfold. And so when we can feel grateful and amazed by an ant crawling on a leaf, that can give us a sense of awe. When we can sit in a meeting and feel gratitude and awe and appreciation mm. for the work and vulnerability and sharing of our colleagues, we can have a similar experience. Mm. It is a it's a skill, it's an emotional intelligence skill that we can actually develop. Um, so we don't need to go anywhere dramatic, though I totally advocate at least a couple of times a year to get out into nature and to let nature offer its wonders to us. And I'd like to just understand, I don't, I don't know, you're not a neuroscientist, but just to understand why getting more in awe uh, and, and understand what's happening in the brain makes us or increases our, our wisdom uh, just i just want to just connect the two mm. um yeah I, I get the i get the orbit and the outside and I, I can sense that would be really good for uh you know the sense of resilience and a sense of gratitude as well but i'm trying to connect to the, the, the wisdom piece okay so that comes back to the practice of perspective and when we have that sense of connection and unity and um common humanity that allows us to make decisions from a point of view how is the decision that we're going to make how what is the ripple effect of that and how far can we extend our sense of boundaries um, mm. to, how far does our ripple consideration go and so mm. this is the practice of wisdom and the, the, the great Iroquois of uh, the First Nations people in the United States had this concept of seven generations. Think seven generations ahead. And so their idea is whatever you do now, I want you to think about the consequences seven generations from now. And that's about 200 years or so. So mm -hmm. every day when you're making a decision, which you know, I'm thinking about what I did today, and was I thinking seven generations ahead? Probably not on some of the more banal things. But maybe on some of the bigger things, like the decision to write a book, will this book seed an impact 200 years from now? Yeah. I don't know. But I want to put enough richness and depth mm -hmm. into it that I feel that it could be of service and could have a long-standing ripple effect. So that sense of, of um, how big is my circle of concern is mm -hmm. where that sense of awe and connection comes from. And that's where we start to become wise leaders, you know. So we we think about not just like what's the ramp, like what's the for example, here's a non less wise way of looking at making decisions, you know. So I've got a decision to make, you know, what's the pros and cons? What's the pros and cons of this? Mm. That's one way of making a decision, one filter. If you add the wisdom filters of what's the ripple effect of this to seven generations, to mm. you know, what is what about what are the if, what are the precursors and trends and effects that have come seven, genera seven generations before? How does this sit in the span of humanity? Um, that adds a whole layer to mm. the decision-making process that adds depth, consideration, and helps you, actually calms you down because it takes away the urgency a little bit yeah. than like what's immediate now. It's, it's the balancing the now and the next piece is, yeah. is that kind of filter. So that's how we link back wonder like an astronaut to being mm. a wiser leader wow and it, it's taking that just thinking long term 
to a whole new level by thinking seven generations, which is, as you say, 200 years, which is, I don't think we even think in that context. We often think, oh, how's this going to be for the next few years? But actually having that thinking, and I agree, would make you think a bit harder, take the pressure out of the decision because there's the sense of, well, it doesn't matter right now because I've got, it's got impact a whole many years ahead of me um, and create a lot more thought uh, and, and insight into that decision making um i really like that um just just one last thing really just, what would be your leading advice to a, a leader right now and as we start to open up in, in terms of context of of pandemic and um what would you tell them right now as uh, to sort of lead in the way that would be uh, full of wisdom and full of uh, compassion Oh, number one priority is look after yourself. And um, I'm just preparing a, a masterclass on this right now. So it's front of mind because there are so many pressing demands on leaders right now. I think the expectations of leaders have gone sky high. There's a crisis of trust in leadership. And so leaders are expected to be these paragons of virtue in a complex, highly visible uh, context. And so we absolutely need to take our self-care game up to a huge new level. We need to design our environment so that we can maximize our mental capabilities, make sure that our physical well-being is, is, is primed because um, if we disregard those key principles, then we are just not going to be up to the task. We won't have the endurance. We will fail ourselves, our families, and our businesses uh, because of the weight of this pressure. So that's the first thing is be looking after yourself extremely well, much better than you think you should or have in the past. Uh, the second one is look after your people. And what I've been finding with organizations that I've been talking to, few have said time out, let's, let's just take stock. How is everybody? What has been people's experiences through COVID? Mm -hmm. uh, what are our triumphs? What have been our challenges? How are we looking after each other? Uh, what's the team aspect before we head into the task aspect of what we need to do. So those would be my two key tips. Brilliant. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed our, our conversation today. Um, and as I always love on these uh, this podcast is I've learned tons as well. So uh, thank you for, for sharing. And um, if, uh, just ask, how, how can people get connect with you? and get hold of your book and, and, and do put it up again so people can see it and start visualize, <laughs> well, no, visually recognizing it as well. Uh, so there we go. How people get hold of that, um, I presume through Amazon and various places. But, yeah. Um, so it's, it's on all online bookstores. So you can, you can get it anywhere in the world, on most places in the world from your favorite dis distributor, either by ebook or they do print on demand. We have it in audiobook format on the various audiobook platforms. You can get it direct from me on my website at zoerouth.com. I sign every copy that goes out and you get the special little award stickers. Um, it won business book of the year in 2020 in Australia. So that was a pretty exciting moment. It was like, woohoo. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so yeah, zoerouth.com or your, your other ebook, audiobook, and book platforms. Brilliant. Well, thank you for coming on today and sharing, uh, Zoe. Much appreciated. Oh, Julian, you've been wonderful. This was great fun. Thank you so much. If you like this episode, then please do subscribe, do share with your friends, and do check out other episodes in the series. If you're looking for support and help in your organization to create a resilient 
culture, then please do get in contact with me on julianrobertsconsulting.com. Thank you.